we did something last time, and uh, and I'm I'm certainly not saying that that I tricked you last time or anything like that. But in a way, what we did last time was maybe something that none of you expected, which is I kind of made you 10% of an accountant when we were last together. You know, you now know kind of a little bit about the basic idea of accounting and what accountants do and how we put together an income statement and what a balance sheet is. And by the time we finish playing ERP Sim this semester, you're going to have a lot of experience with that beyond just what we have talked about. Well, that will serve you well in the future. I actually had a professional take this course a few years ago, and his wife is an accountant. And he actually works for an organization in a business process expert type role. And uh, he came up to me and said, you know, I took an accounting class a long, long, long time ago, but I had forgotten all of that. And he said, that was a really good review. And then like six months later, I got an email from him. He said, I'm working on a project at work right now, and I'm using all that accounting stuff that we talked about. And he said, I, I actually understand this in the work that I'm doing talking to these other people. So. Hopefully that has been useful and will be useful for you moving forward. We want to kind of continue that uh, trend of exposing you to some new and different things that hopefully will, will help you in the future. And so I've called this topic Fundamentals of Business for a Computing Professional. And so what we're going to talk about here is we're going to talk about just some basic business concepts that someone working in computing really should know. And we'll talk about how businesses are structured and what that means as far as jobs and, and how things get done in the organization. And, and we'll talk about this concept that will be very important to us as we continue the semester uh, of something called the business process and what it is and why it's important and, and why we should care about it. But as I was putting this discussion together, Really, to me, I was trying to figure out, okay, what's a good place for us to jump off in our discussion? And I realized that a great first thing for us to think about for a moment here is, you know, what is a business? Because that's going to be what we're talking about here. Some of you in the future may run a business. You know, I think it would be incredibly cool if some of you graduated and decided to go out and start your own company. I probably mentioned this before, but over the 25 years I've been teaching, I know of uh, about six people that were students of mine that went on to start their own company. And one of them in particular was him and his brother. They were both computer science majors. They graduated. They had this idea for a software product. They made it. They marketed it for a few years, made a pretty good bit of money off of it, and then sold it to another company for tens of millions of dollars. So here they were not even 25, and they could have retired. And so they liked that so much, they started another company and did the same thing again. In a matter of five years, they sold their company for tens of millions of dollars and now they just in the last six months they started another company and you know they're just gonna I guess keep doing that and and so far it has been very very lucrative for them well I think it would be incredibly cool if some of you instead of thinking in terms of I'm going to graduate and go and get a job if you thought in terms of I'm going to graduate and and start my own company and in computing, you really have that opportunity. Now, I confess, I, I don't want to pick on any particular program here, but I've already told you I don't like history, so let's pick on history people for a second. If you were a history major and you graduated and you said, after I graduate, I want to start my own company, I don't know what that looks like if you're a history major. Maybe you become like a troubadour and you just travel around and stand outside of libraries and tell stories and hope people give you money. I mean, I'm not meaning to make fun of that. Maybe, what's the, maybe that's what that looks like. I don't know. I don't know what you could do with that degree to start your own business. But in computing, you could start a company doing web design and development. 
You could start a company doing mobile app development. I mean, if you, in your four years or five years, however long it takes you here, if you learn, you know, how to create some mobile apps through some elective courses that you take, you know, you graduate, you create two or three good apps and start having some money come in, and then you start hiring people and you build up, you build up. Next thing you know, you know, you got 25 people working for and you've got a company. That opportunity exists for you guys and ladies. Now, you may not want to do that, kind of going back to what we said before. Some of you, you know, that there's a lot of risk associated with that. Maybe you'd rather go to work for a company. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But whether you're going to work for a company or you're going to start your own company, chances are pretty good that most of you, your future lies in one way or another with working for or creating a, a business. So what is, what is a business? Well, one of the things that we could think about in trying to put together uh, this idea of, of a business is business is focused on exchange. So at its root, every business is about we're going to make something that we hope other people have an interest in and will buy it from us because we've moved beyond the era of barter so you don't want people like bringing you squirrel skins or something like that uh, your business wants to put their product or service out there and have people be willing to pay money for it that can take all kinds of different forms we could be talking about a university that offers classes that students enroll in we could be talking about a sports team that fields a team and sells tickets so that people will come and watch them play we could be talking about a retail store that stocks merchandise and people come in and give them money for it. When you get right down to it, pretty much any business that you could think of, there's some element of exchange going on there where you have at least two parties, maybe more than two parties, getting together and, and they're exchanging things. Now, maybe you've heard this before, you know, all business is is finding out what people need and giving it to them. And there's an element where that's true. But business is also a lot more complicated than that. Um, I don't know right off. Does anybody know what year the iPhone came to market? Anybody know, like roughly? 2004? Okay, we'll go with that. All right, so let's imagine we had a time machine. Do you think if we went back to 2001, and walked up to people and said, hey, what do you want? Do you think anyone would have described an iPhone? People had no idea that that was coming. Now, Steve Jobs gets credit for this. He had a lot of people working with him and thinking with him about this. And there were other companies doing similar things. But basically, if we just focus on Steve Jobs for a moment, he had the vision in his head of this thing that could be created that nobody else really had thought of. And when he brought it out and said, look what I made, the world said, I got to have that. And they ran out and bought it like crazy. So business is a lot more complicated than just walking up to people and saying, what do you want? And then going out and making it for them. There's a lot of things that people even today say they want. Um, you know, we've been talking about flying cars forever but yet we really still don't have any flying cars. Um, it's kind of funny to me that since this year was like the anniversary of Back to the Future, a lot of people started talking about hoverboards again, you know, and how that was in Back to the Future and that was something we were supposed to have in 2015. And I've seen like on um, Facebook and stuff, videos of like these prototype uh, hoverboards that companies have supposedly invented. I never know what of that is faked and what, you know, how they're doing that, but we still don't really have the back to the future model of that. Yes, sir? Yeah, that's the problem with that. So, you know, once again, you could walk up to somebody and say, what do you want? And they say, a hoverboard. And it's like, okay, great, I can't invent that. I'm still waiting for the transporter, like from Star Trek, you know, to be reality. Because it would be so cool to me to, like, be able to come here this morning and, and teach you guys and then beam back to my home on Hawaii. You know, that would be just really cool. 
that's not something I can do right now, okay? So, you know, sometimes there are things that we can envision that we can't create, but more often than not, there are things that people don't even know that they need until they see them. And so somebody has to have a vision for something that can be created, some idea that, that they can bring to market that, that people are going to be willing to engage in exchange with. And so that gets to the second facet of this. It's focused on exchange, and it generally revolves around producing and or selling products. Now I use that word products on purpose because that's a fairly generic word. There are different kinds of products. We could talk about goods, which that term usually applies to physical things. An iPhone would be a good. Um, a microphone would be a good. A laptop would be a good. Anything that you can touch that is a physical thing would be a good. But businesses exist also to produce and or sell services. Now services are things that generally involve a transformation. So there might be a physical element to this but what we're really talking about here is not something where you're going in and just purchasing a physical product. You're buying some kind of transformation. Earlier this week, I went to uh, the barber shop and, and got a haircut. And so that was a service. I walked in with an accumulation of hair, and I walked out with less hair. They transformed the hair, such as it is, into something different, and I paid them for that. Um, I pay someone to mow my lawn at home because I don't have time, and this way someone can earn some money off of me. And so they transform long grass into short grass in exchange for me giving them money. Now, services can be really, really complicated, and they have some attributes that we don't have to worry about when we're selling physical products. Those of you that played ERP Sim and had some merchandise left in inventory at the end of our lab time on Monday, we'll find that that merchandise is still there when we have our next lab on Monday, which is like it happens in a real business. But if you're a service provider, a barber shop can't say, wow, it's a really slow day today. Break out some of those wigs in the back and let's cut them. And then when customers come in next week and it's really busy, we can just say, okay, it's really busy. Instead of waiting, here, wear this wig. And we give them the wig instead of cutting their hair. That's probably not going to work for most people. Or like my grass at home. The lawn guy can't say, I'm going to be really busy next week, so I'll just cut your lawn twice this week and then not at all next week. That's not going to result in my lawn looking really good because this week the grass is going to be really short and the next week it's going to be a foot tall. The whole idea behind this is, is you know, with the barber shop, it's not like I can take my head off and say, here, cut this while I run to the bank. Okay? I have to be there physically present. The service provider has to be there physically present. And, and they do their thing and I pay for it. So there are all kinds of different products that people might purchase. Some of them are physical things. Some of them are services. Some of them are, are virtual things. In another class I teach, we were talking about eBay last evening. And one of the students was looking at a list of all the products that you cannot sell on eBay. And it's really interesting. One of the ones that I thought was most interesting is you cannot sell ghosts, apparitions, or anything that cannot be validated as actually existing. Okay? So you can't sell a ghost if you happen to have one. Okay? There's a lot of stuff you can sell on eBay, but you can't sell a ghost. Okay? And so there's a lot of different things that people can put out there and try to sell to people. You could probably try and sell a ghost someplace other than eBay. I don't know if you'd be successful with it. Someone to me, it sounds like kind of a scam. What's that? I said someone was successful for that rule of eBay. Yeah, that's a good point. Somebody had to try and sell a ghost 
for them to say, no, you, you can't do that. You're very rare. I doubt anybody said, okay, let's make a list of all the stuff you can't sell. And somebody said, oh, let's put ghosts on the list. Yeah, that's a good point. Somebody probably tried that. So business focuses on exchange. We're producing and or selling products. Um, the product could be a good. It could be a service. Let me give you a, another way of looking at this. This could be, if we think about this on, a, on its purest form, a psychological bundle of benefits. You remember what was it, uh, Peanuts, where Lucy used to set up her little stand and it was like, I forget what she called it, but she like charged you a nickel and you could like go up to her and tell her your problems. Okay, you know, basically anything that you could do or anything that a company could do that someone else looks at that and says, yeah, that's valuable, I can try and sell that. Which means that, you know, if you said I wanted to start a, a service here on campus, not suggesting this would be successful, but you walk around with a t-shirt on that says, you know, hugs, one dollar. And somebody could give you a dollar and, and you hug them. And if enough people thought that that was beneficial and, and took you up on that offer, you could make money doing that. You know, I don't know which would happen first, you making money or the police being called. But nonetheless, you know, if we look at this on its purest form, anything that can be created that someone else would look at and say, I want that, I see the benefit in that, that's what we're talking about here as a product in this situation. And so that goes back to what I mentioned before. A lot of businesses find a need and fill it. Now, it could be really straightforward. It could be university students like to eat lunch. Let's create a business where we sell lunch to university students. Uh, congratulations, you've just invented a cafeteria or restaurant. You know, Starbucks, people like to drink coffee. Why don't we have a place where we make coffee and sell it to people? Congratulations, you just made a billion dollars. And so a lot of what business is is just, you know, a lot of thinking about, okay, what do people need? And can I make something that will solve that need? And can I sell it to them at a price that they're willing to pay for it? And that goes back to the hoverboard example. If we think about ERP Sim and Muesli, if you said people like to eat breakfast, okay, I buy that. People like to eat cereal for breakfast, okay, I buy that. People would like muesli, okay, good so far. I can make muesli, that sounds pretty good. I can make a box of muesli for $100. Now we have a problem because nobody's probably going to want to pay $200 for your box of muesli. So we've got to find a need, we've got to figure out a solution, and it has to be a feasible solution. It has to be something that someone can actually buy from you, that you can fulfill for them. That's what business is. So a lot of what we find ourselves doing in business is thinking about customers. Customers meeting their needs. Now here's the thing that makes this so challenging. I observed a moment ago that first of all, people don't always know what their needs are. That's true. But then beyond that, their needs change. Great example of that would be, you see that in fashion all the time, where certain things are really, really popular and a lot of people wear it, and then the next year nobody wears that at all. I remember, and this goes back a long time, probably back to a time when some of you were, were children, and I remember the Christmas where it seemed like every kid in America got one of those Razor scooters. And no matter where you look, everybody was on their Razor scooter going up and down the sidewalk in every place. And then like the next year, I was in like, what was it, um, what's that place, um, Big Lots? And there was like Razor, it wasn't Razor brand, but it was like a scooter for like seven bucks. And they had them packed floor to ceiling. And I, I you, know, you know, occasionally now you see like one odd person, not, not saying they're odd, but you see one individual here or there riding their scooter around. It's not a thing anymore. That one year, everybody got a scooter and, and then needs change. And so that happens. 
for us in technology, technology evolves. When I was a little kid, more than anything else in the world, I wanted one of those Atari gaming consoles. You maybe now have seen them like on the History Channel or something, or you know, like a picture of what things were like in the Dark Ages. But when I was a little kid, you know, one of those Ataris that you put the cartridge in and you hook up to your TV, I wanted that incredibly. Never got one, always wanted one. Well, I could buy one of those things now. I, I could buy 10 of those things now. I don't want it anymore. I mean, I don't even know if I could hook that up to my current TV and get it to work. Um, but even if I could, you know, now I'd rather have a PS4 or something like that as opposed to the old, old technology. So customers, you're trying to meet their needs, but their needs are, are ever-changing. And so this makes business really complicated. There's a story that's often told in marketing that I think is a really good one. If we go back to the era of the wild, wild west, there were a lot of businesses that existed to cater to people that lived during that time. And one of the examples that we could give is of a manufacturer that made what used to be called buggy whips. And it's definitely not very politically correct anymore to think about this, but it was a product back then that people used. They were typically made out of leather. And I don't know that you would actually use it to whip the animal, but you would typically use it to make like a loud sound that would motivate the animal to start moving or running or whatever. And so all of the cowboys and cowgirls and all the people, they had buggy whips back then. Well, suppose if we went back to that era of the, big, of the Big West, I guess that's different than the Wild West, but we went back there, and you were the world's best buggy whip manufacturer. And everybody came from miles around riding their horses in to buy one of your buggy whips, and everybody agreed that you were the world's best buggy whip manufacturer. Well, let's assume that you kept doing that. And so now you're like 95 years old, but you still make buggy whips. You think you're selling as many of them today as you did back then during the old, the old West era? Not at all. I mean, things change. So if you were really smart, you know, you were selling buggy whips for a while, and then you realize, oh, well, people aren't buying buggy whips anymore. Somebody invented this thing called the car. Well, I'm really good at working with leather. I can make leather seats for these cars. And you started doing that. And then times change. And all of a sudden, women started putting all kinds of sundry stuff in these leather bags and throwing them over their shoulders and walking around with them. And you said to yourself, I could make those things. And over time, you took what it is that you knew how to do, and you kept reinventing yourself to create things that people would be interested in. You could be 95 years old today and incredibly rich because one out of every four women bought your brand of pocketbook because it was the best kind of pocketbook in the world. But the key is businesses can never say, we know what we're doing, we can just now sit back and be successful. Right now in America, we are seeing this play out in a big way with a company that I never thought that I would see this happen with, McDonald's. McDonald's is in big trouble right now. I don't know if you guys have realized this, but McDonald's, they've been an American fixture for, for decades. McDonald's has always been incredibly popular and incredibly profitable. As of a couple of years ago, it always used to be that McDonald's would release, going back to what we talked about last time, monthly financial statements. They didn't have to do that, but they would release monthly financial statements so that their investors and other people could see how profitable they were. They stopped doing that because the numbers did not look so good anymore. And McDonald's is discovering that somewhere along the way, they've kind of lost the magic. And now there are other restaurants that are competing with them, and people are going to these other places. And people still go to McDonald's, but they don't go to McDonald's like they used to. And there are a lot of industry experts that are saying, 20 years from now, McDonald's may be gone. And so McDonald's right now is trying to figure out what in the world they can do.
And one of the things that I've seen recently is they've, they've come to the conclusion, at least some of the operators have, that it's just people don't like hamburgers anymore because they're not really healthy and stuff like that. And so they've decided now, and they're doing this in Florida, they're marketing a chicken burger. Now, it's not like a chicken patty burger like you might get at Chick-fil-A. This is ground chicken made into a patty like a hamburger patty and cooked like a hamburger and with seasonings and stuff put on it like it's a hamburger but it's made out of chicken. They're going to try that. Some of you are giving me a look like I will not be buying that, okay? I don't know. Some people might really like it. But the fact is right now McDonald's is trying to figure out what they can do to recover the magic. And it's not because, you know, McDonald's has changed a little bit. The quality, a lot of people say the quality of their products have gone down and other things like that. But really, it's more about co consumers have changed. People have moved on to different kinds of things. And, and McDonald's just isn't what it used to be in people's minds. Yes, sir, Rodney? And I suspect that's what's driving it. I know that right now, Subway, who's going through a bit of a public relations crisis right now, um, Subway um, is starting to make a big deal about transitioning their products to being all hormone-free and stuff like that. Panera Bread is doing that too. So, you know, that's a good example of where if that really is what customers want now, and I can speak on behalf of myself, but not the world in general, then other companies are doing a better job meeting people's needs. So my point is, you're never guaranteed of success. You could be a company like, and I'll give IBM credit. IBM is a computer company that's been around for a long, long time. And they were successful way back decades ago, and they're still successful today. Now, they've had some periods where they've had some troubled times, but they've held on, and they're still a well-regarded company. Microsoft? Ten years ago, Microsoft looked like they were going to rule the world in computing. And then Bill Gates left, and the company made some interesting strategic decisions. I remember the era when people were like, Apple, are they still in business? You know, and people thought that Microsoft was just going to run them off the planet. And people would laugh about Apple as being like the little tiny company in comparison with Microsoft. Now those two companies have changed places. Now Microsoft would love to be Apple, as would probably just about any other company in the world right now when you look at Apple's profitability. But people right now are starting to say, Steve Jobs has left. Apple seems to be losing their magic a little bit. And investors are starting to not invest in Apple as much as they had. And that's what makes business so challenging. Customers are always changing. So you can never say, I got this. I got this locked in. People really love this product, so I'm just going to keep making it the rest of my life. If you do that, failure will visit you. Maybe sooner, maybe later, but failures are coming. So the challenge here is businesses have to continuously be saying, you know, wh what do I need to do differently? I I've done a lot of reading of biographies of, of great business and computing people. Uh, Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, um, a lot of them. I've read their biographies. Jeff Bezos would fall into this category. Um, the guys that founded Google, the guys that founded Yahoo. And there's one thing that... I found in every one of those books, every one of those people were incredibly paranoid. Steve Jobs was a big jerk, okay? Um, he was incredibly successful, but if you talk to people that worked with Steve Jobs, they like him now, but that's because he made him a lot of money and they don't have to deal with him anymore. The people that worked with him on a daily basis, if they were being candid with you, would not have a lot of good things to say about him. Part of the reason why Steve Jobs is the way or was the way that he was is because he was always afraid somebody would come up with a better idea than him. 
And so he dedicated his whole life to, what can I come up with next? What can I come up with next? What can I invent next? Because he knew his legacy was only as good as his next invention. And, you know, what can I put in the iPhone 6 that's not in the iPhone 5? And what can I put in the iPhone 7? And what can I put in the iPhone 8? I don't know what the iPhone 10 will look like, but if it looks anything like the iPhone 6 that I'm carrying now, consumers aren't going to be real happy with that. You know, the iPhone 10 is going to need for Siri to be like some kind of holographic being that pops up and I can talk to or something like that. I mean, I don't know, but people want newer, they want better. We, we don't settle. It's just part of our human nature. And so that's what makes business really kind of fun and exciting trying to figure out what it is that we can do that that will meet the needs of our customers realizing that they change a lot now having said that let's also interject the idea that some things change more rapidly than other than others we could go back decades and find customers buying bars of soap and chances are pretty good I've got my fingers crossed about this, that if we went back to where you lived, we would find some bars of soap, okay? I, I hope that's to be true, okay? People were buying bars of soap 50 plus years ago, 100 plus years ago. Now, nowadays, people buy like gels and foams and creams and all kinds of other stuff, but people still buy bars of soap. Soap has been around for a long time, and chances are pretty good that 75 years in the future, you can buy bars of soap. Those are products that have a really, really long lifetime. Whereas products like technology, they have a lifetime of a couple of years, and then we want the newer and best thing. So some products have a really long lifespan, some products have a really short lifespan, but the fact still is, customers are changing. They always want new and better and, and different things. And so the key is here, we have to develop a mutually beneficial relationship. Now, I, I've mentioned Steve Jobs, I've mentioned the iPhone, and by the way, it doesn't matter whether you're an Android person or an iPhone person or whatever, the example's still the same. It translates across all the different platforms, but I'll just stick with iPhone as an example here. I really like my iPhone. The new iPhone is coming out. I don't plan to get it because I have the 6S or the 6 Plus and it's still pretty new, meets my needs. I'll probably buy the 7 when it comes out, but I'm not going to buy the, the 6S. Um, but the one thing that I am not excited about as it relates to my iPhone is how much it costs. I mean, these things are not cheap, as I'm sure you well know as university students that, you know, the tendency is most of you are probably pinching pennies. And so there's probably for a lot of you a lot of things that you would like to have that you don't have because of the money side of it. Well, suppose for the moment that Apple came out and what's his name, Tim Cook got up at the keynote and he did his whole big thing about the iPhone 6S and the 6S Plus and at the end he said, oh and by the way, I've got one more announcement. This will be on sale starting in a month for five bucks. 6S is going to be five bucks. Got to charge a little bit more for the 6S Plus so it's going to be 550. Okay, five bucks, five fifty. Now, if you're the consumer sitting there, I guarantee you the first thing you do is you look at your friend and say, "Is he being serious? Is it like April 1st? And then probably the next thing people are wondering about has he gone crazy in the middle of his presentation? But maybe it ends, and yeah, that was really the announcement: iPhone 6s, five bucks. Well, you would love that as a consumer. I'd probably go on by five of them. You know, just so I could walk around, you know, like have one and just like maybe even just like to make people's day walk up to them and say, here, have a free iPhone 6S, you know, because it'd be cheap. It'd be cheap enough to do that with. But even though I would like that, it wouldn't work out real good for Apple because of what we have talked about over the last couple of class periods. You know this well. It probably cost them more than five bucks to make this thing. I don't know how much it does cost. But I feel pretty good about saying it costs more than five bucks. Matter of fact, I'm, I'm willing to guess that it costs at least 
75 to 100 bucks to make these things. I don't know. I could be wrong. They're not going to tell me. It's not like I can call Apple's 1-800 number and say, what's it cost you to make this? They keep that a big secret. But let's assume it cost them 100 bucks to make this. They're not going to sell it to me for 5 bucks because they lose out. Now, here's the key, though. Let's think about this in the long run. Apple has a lot of money. I like $5 iPhones. But there will come a point where if Apple says, we're going to keep selling iPhones for $5, at some point, they will be out of all of the money they have built up over time. And eventually, they'll go away. And Apple will cease to exist. And then I'll never get my iPhone 10. So in the short run, I won because, hey, I got a $5 iPhone. But in the long run, I lost because I'm never, ever going to get an iPhone 10, 11, 12, 87, or whatever have you. So in that situation, the consumer won, but the company lost. Well, suppose the other way is Apple comes out and says, new model iPhone, this thing's incredible. You got to have it. iPhone 6S, $10,500. Now, I feel pretty confident in saying there are some people that would buy that. Just like there are some people, apparently, that have bought those gold Apple watches that are enormously expensive. Okay? In that situation, Apple might win, but the consumer's going to lose. And just like setting the price too low is going to, in the long run, run Apple out of business, setting the price too high might be good for them in the short run, but eventually the same thing's going to happen. The only way that this will work out in the long run and be sustainable is if we can come up with a business model where we win as a company and our customers win too. Because then our customers will keep buying from us and we'll continue to be able to make products and sell them to them and sustain our, our business model. So we have to come up with a way of building these mutually beneficial relationships. Now, as a part of this, but not really the same idea, what is a business? Business is commonly with a profit focus. Now we know what profit is. We built a worksheet at the beginning of class that illustrated what profit is. Profit is what's left over after I pay off all of my expenses and all of my overhead. I'm left with profit. And profit's really cool because I can put it in the bank. And if I own a business, I can take that profit and go on a cruise or other fun things like that. But not every business has as their focus making a, a profit. What would be an example of a business that's not really that concerned with making a profit? Red Cross. Red Cross. Great example of that. Now, what do we commonly call businesses like the Red Cross? Nonprofit businesses. So it's right there in the name of that. Uh, charities would be nonprofit. You might not believe this as a student, but I can assure you institutions like ETSU are nonprofit. They take all the money they get in and they use it to, to you know, pay overhead and pay salaries and everything that's left. And at the end of the year, if there's like 75 cents left, that's a lot compared to the way uh, things work. And so there are a lot of businesses out there that aren't really that focused on profit. Yes, sir, do you have a... Some sense is the military. Absolutely. Absolutely. Military would, you know, they're, they're a business. They absolutely are. But they're not focused on making a profit. And by the way, you might say, well, what do they exchange? Well, part of the exchange element there is freedom. You know, they're, they're keeping us safe. They're keeping us secure. They're protecting our society. And, and we're, we're paying them. We pay them in the form of taxes for the most part. But it's still, there, there's an exchange element there. And so, Businesses commonly have a profit focus, but it isn't, it isn't really uh, the dominant focus for a lot of business. And this is where this gets challenging. Okay, I'm going to use an example. This bottle of water has been sitting on this lectern the entire semester. I'm going to take it with me at the end of class, and I'm going to throw it away. I don't know what is in here. But 
let's assume that this is not any old bottle of water. This is a magic bottle of water that someone left here. And I, I don't mean to in any way um, make fun of a situation that some of you or some of your family might have experienced, but I think it makes a good example, so bear with me. Let's assume that what is in this bottle of water is the cure to cancer. Okay? And I just found it. Somebody left it here on the lectern. It's all mine. Cure to cancer right here in this bottle. And the cure is, is so powerful and so potent, all you need is one drop, like from an eyedropper, dropped on your tongue, and you are instantaneously cured of any possible cancer that you have. Okay? How much did it cost me to develop this? Zero. I just found it here on the lectern. Okay? What am I going to sell this for? Okay? What? A ridiculous amount of money, right? I'm not going to say, it costs me nothing, so I'll sell it for a penny a dose. Okay? That'd be really good profit compared to, you know, basically it costs me nothing. But we all know that's not the way that's going to happen. Do you think it's likely, if this were a realistic situation, am I going to sell it for $5 a dose? Am I going to sell it for $1,000 a dose? You know, I think we've all been around the block enough to know that there are companies out there that would say $10,000 a dose and not even bat an eye. And you know what? If you had cancer, you'd probably pay it if this really would cure you. Now, that's an example of a situation that is very, very hard to, to consider from all the various dimensions. Um, let, let me give you another, let's extend this example a little bit. I think we would all agree, even if this is something that some of you do, that the evidence is pretty clear that smoking is not good for you. But a lot of people do it. And one thing that keeps a lot of people from smoking is the fear of getting cancer. Well, if you knew you could cure cancer any old time by taking a a drop of this, people would go back to smoking like crazy. It'd be like we'd be back in the 70s where everybody smokes everywhere all the time, which is probably not a good thing, but it would happen because now all of a sudden we, we have a magic cure for that and we don't have to worry about it anymore. Well, when we look at this idea of from a profit focus, there are pharmaceutical companies out there that we'll assume are are owned and operated by good people. Not all of them, but there are an awful lot of good people out there that work in that industry, and they have a real challenge. Because unlike this bottle of water that I found for free, they developed a cure for cancer. And it's in this bottle, but by the time you add up all the equipment they had to buy and all the salaries they paid and everything else, it cost them about $15 million to develop this. And they know that once they start selling it, some other company out there is going to buy it and do a, an analysis of it and figure out what this is so that they can start making their own version of it too. So what are they going to do? They put a lot of money into developing this. They, they kind of, they deserve to make some money. I mean, we want them to go back to my Apple example. We want them to stay in business because we'd like them to invent cures for other things that, that really plague humanity. But this gets really, really complicated really, really quickly when we try and figure out uh, the real world way that this should play out. There are an awful lot of pharmaceutical companies that when you look at their bottom line, they're making what many people would characterize as just an obscene amount of money. And then there are other pharmaceutical companies that don't really focus as much on profit. They want to sustain the business. They want to be able to keep making medicine and bringing it to market. But profit is not as driving a focus for them as it is for other businesses out there. You know, what, what I'm hoping you're getting a sense of is this is a lot more complicated than a lot of people might understand. Are changing customers, are developing these mutually beneficial relationships, figuring out this whole idea of, of profit focus. And then we add the last two elements here. It exists 
in a competitive environment. Competitive environment. I suspect that kids aren't allowed to play this game at recess anymore. When I was a kid, we used to play it at recess. It was a simpler, more violent time back then. Um, we would play King of the Hill, where all you really needed was a mound of dirt and a bunch of kids, and somebody would get on top of the hill and basically say, who wants to come and try and knock me off? And very, very violent game, potentially, because, you know, people would come and they'd get pushed down and kicked and whatever have you. Um, but that's kind of what business is like. Everybody out there is in a competitive environment. And so anytime a business comes out with anything that they're successful with, other people are going to see that and try and copy it and try and compete with them. And so that makes this very, very challenging because we can never sit back and say, okay, we're successful. No, we've got to be, well, what are our competitors doing? What products are they developing? You know, how's this going to play out in the future? And then the last element here is we have a wide variety of risk. Now, let me give you a definition of risk. Risk is the potential... for, I'll just say, bad things based on my actions or inaction. So risk is, in many situations, something beyond my control. Risk in business, a good example of this is, is legal risks that come to us from the government. I lived for a few decades in Florida, and there was a business that popped up. This is probably about 15, 20 years ago that popped up in Florida that was very interesting. Imagine, if you will, a, a physical store that was kind of like Blockbuster, but instead of it being movies, it was computer software. In this business, you could go in and you could pay your $2 and rent a uh, Microsoft Office DVD and walk out with your Microsoft Office DVD. And what was supposed to happen is you were supposed to take that back to your home, install it on your computer, uh, use it to say, oh, this is pretty cool. I like this yeah, this is a good piece of software. And then when you were done, you were supposed to uninstall it and bring the DVD back to the place. And you're chuckling because you've all figured out that there was a big difference in the way this was supposed to work and the way this actually did work. People would go to this place and they'd get their game DVDs or whatever have you. And um, things, technology was a little bit different back then than it is now. People would go back to their home, copy it, you know, burn their own DVD. There wasn't all the copy protection and such like there is now, and then bring the original back to the store. Well, every time I drove by that store, and on the few occasions I actually stopped and went into the store, they had more customers than they knew what to do with. I mean, it was always full. And I remember, you know, they had waiting lists for certain things. And there were literally people that would hang out there in the late afternoon and wait for people to bring stuff back just so they could get it before it went back up on the shelves. This place was was making money like crazy. You know, they'd buy one copy of a game and rent it every day to somebody else for, you know, some of the things were like three, four dollars a day. They were so popular, they opened a second location in town. And that location did just as much business. Well, that business did this for about three months. And lo and behold, companies like Microsoft and other companies um, found out about it and went to the various state and federal legislatures and said, there's a loophole in the law that's letting these companies do this we need you to change the law because it's not fair. And they got the law changed and literally this business went from being perfectly legal and fine on Monday to being out of business on Tuesday because what they were doing was now illegal. And the business, they didn't change anything. 
All they did was they went to bed Monday night, went to sleep, woke up Tuesday morning and found out they were out of business. That's what we're talking about when we talk about risk. We are in an environment now where businesses realize that laws could change. We have risks that come to us um, that are economic risks. You know, you could have a very, very successful business and all of a sudden the economy turns down and nobody can afford to buy your stuff anymore. And so you go out of business and people would like to buy your stuff. It's perfectly good stuff. They just don't have the money. We have risks that come from kind of like what we talked about for social trends. I think it's kind of weird a little. I get it. I, I confess though I think it's a little weird. Um, I'm going to guess that none of you have been in this kind of store, but maybe I'm mistaken. There are stores that you can go into now to buy gourmet olive oil. Have any of you ever been in those stores? You walk in and there's like 30 different flavors of olive oil and they'll let you like taste it and then you buy it, um, you know, like you walk out with a container of gourmet olive oil. Well, that's kind of really hip and trendy right now. There's an olive oil store that just opened in Johnson City like two months ago. Um, I don't know. You know, that's really, really trendy right now. Are they going to be in business three years from now? I don't know. They might have 10 locations three years from now, or they might be out of business three years from now. But they're, they're kind of riding this social trend, and I guarantee you the people that own and operate that business are probably thinking, how long is this going to continue, and how can we continue to make people be interested in this? Because it's, it's a pretty risky proposition. And then for us, evolving technology. You know, we talked in a previous discussion about the importance of being lifelong learners. It's because technology changes continuously. A contemporary example of this is I have been doing some consulting with some companies that right now are really, really having a hard time figuring out what cloud computing means for them. And as a matter of fact, uh, one of the people that I, I sometimes swap emails, he has a little email signature at the bottom of his email that says, friends don't let friends build data centers. And uh, a lot of companies right now are thinking, we're going to do away with our data centers and move all of our computing infrastructure to the cloud. And a lot of other people are advocating that's a bad move. And right now, there's an awful lot of confusion about this. Companies don't know what to do. Well, that's today's problem. Five years from now, it'll be a different problem, but there'll be new problems because technology continuously changes. And we've got to figure out how to manage this. That's part of what being in business is, figuring out ways to help manage these risks so that we make good decisions so we can continue to be in a business. My concluding thought here, every business has one overriding goal. And that is to keep being a business, to continue to exist. Every business, no matter whether they want to be profitable or not, no matter how they line up in their decisions in these different areas, they want to continue to exist and nobody's promised tomorrow. Businesses come in favor, they go out of business. That's a risk that every business owner has to be prepared to contend with. All right, well, this is where we will stop in our discussion for today.